Welcome to the Investment Turnaround. In this podcast series, Dr. Mariana Bosazan interviews world-renowned investors, scientists, and other personalities who share their solutions toward the sustainable transformation of our financial systems. Today, Mariana speaks with Mike Muller. He will share how he helped shape Silicon Valley and so much more. Today's intro is short. We'll let the stories unfold in conversation. Join us. Today, I have the great pleasure to speak with my very dear friend and Silicon Valley giant, Mike Muller. Mike, thank you for having us in your beautiful home in Woodside, California, and welcome to our podcast. You're welcome, too. It's a pleasure. Mike, you're an inventor, a successful serial entrepreneur and investor. You work with some of the most remarkable people on this planet. Tell us, how did you get here from Germany? What is your story? It's a long story. Do you have a couple of hours? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we could probably do that. (laughs) Okay, I finished a physics degree in Germany in 1964 and I came as a visitor and I decided after three months, I said, I really like California. I ended up south of Los Angeles in Newport Beach. It was heaven. Sailboats, working on a tugboat for somebody from from Hamburg. But the Vietnam War was on, so it was an issue. So they said, why don't you stay, the family I stayed with, why don't you stay here? And I said, I can't because I don't want to be drafted. Oh, we introduce you to some military companies and then you can stay here. I finished my trip and these people kept contacted me and said, why don't you come back, at least when you get married. They apparently liked me because I fixed some of their boat issues. So (laughs) eventually I went back to New York and they decided, hey, California was great. I'm not going back to Germany. I I had a contract with Bosch to develop an ultrasonic windshield wiper for Mercedes. Well, that never happened because I went back to Newport Beach. And well, then worked for aerospace company on the Apollo program. And over that time, I developed this switch. I became a switch expert. And I then, well, I became an entrepreneur. That's the story. So that was all in 1964. So what ago. was your first company? Uh... First company was called Datanetics. There were three of us we started in. They had sort of a disk drive, very advanced, but part of that was a keyboard. So I redesigned the keyboard. I was a switch expert, redesigned the keyboard. We then made all the keyboards for the first desktop calculators. And uh, <coughs> then, you know, make the story short, uh, Steve, Job came da- Steve Jobs came down with long hair and a black suit. He just came from a fundraising tour in New York and he said, Hey, Mike, you're the keyboard expert. I need a keyboard for my Apple One, which I made. And then, you know, made 50 million or so keyboards for the Apple Two, Apple Three, the Lisa, and so on. So that was the beginning. And then, and then, how did you get into Silicon Valley? You know, just well, so this was all in Newport Beach, and I had a company like in Garden Grove, in in Los Angeles area. I had a couple of companies, and Apple. Unfortunately, I had like fifteen hundred people, and Apple couldn't forecast. So, but we had lots of strawberry fields around. 
so it's <laughs> when we couldn't, when we, then Apple didn't want any keyboards or input devices, I said, come on, I made an arrangement with a farmer, we can all pick strawberries. And we didn't, <laughs> I never laid people off. I always said, okay, we all are here together as a team, let's all take a pay cut, we all work four days. And I encouraged everybody on the fifth day to start something. So Elke and my wife and I, we started, we got into the ski business, we got involved in making ski brakes and anti-crossing devices. And a lot of other people actually started something else. And that was sort of, I thought it was great. And then as soon as Apple changed their mind again, oh, then we had to hurry, we had to run, we had to work overtime to get all the keyboards they suddenly wanted. So it was, you had to be flexible. But eventually had oh, about several hundred people up in the Silicon Valley and we made, I, got this, I was responsible for all the peripherals, so I made printers, monitors, uh, disk drives, and so forth. So that, and then we decided, I was spending three days up here in Silicon Valley and said, God, every time I fly up here, it's foggy typically, but there's one spot, the sun always seems to shine, I always see this little lake. So let's make sure we move close to the little lake. And we did. And the little lake is just close to us now. And when everything is still foggy around here, we got the first sun. The microclimate, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about Steve Jobs. What, what kind of person was he? I mean, he, he ended up changing the entire world. What kind of person? And he, I know he evolved. That was by coincidence. By coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell us about him. So I worked, I mean, I had one of the three divisions. So he started the, the Macintosh division, then there was the Apple II, Apple III division. And I had the accessory products division. So we had the three divisions. And I met with Steve every Tuesday morning at a little coffee shop. And uh, we started planning what we had to do. Uh, Steve was the person that had great ideas, had no clue how to really implement them to start with. So I was more the engineering type person and um, inventor type, so I, I had to fix things and come up with things. So anyway, we said, okay, we're going to do this miniature DIN connector on the Macintosh and all the computers. I said, that's great, okay, let's stick with that. That's what we're going to plan to do, because the Apple II, Apple III, they all had the DB9, which was a bigger connector. This is just an example. Okay, great, we do that. We go all to Miniature 9. I go back to my staff meeting, and I explain everything. Steve walks in the door, and he says, Mike, I'm sorry, I changed my mind. I only want the Miniature 9, Miniature DIN on my Macintosh. Let the Apple II be different, they keep the DB9. <laughs> you know, that was Steve Jobs. He, he, would, he could change his mind, not necessarily for the good or the bad, but um, he was not focused one straight direction. And we all had to take up for that. And Steve was a person that drove everybody very hard. I mean, he had goals, and he said, we've got to get there, we've got to get there, and we've got to do it. 
And sometimes we met the gods and then he changed his mind and says, no, let's, let's not do it this way, let's do it another way. But eventually he was successful. It took a while, but he was, well, I got stabbed in my back many times, I can say that. Mm. <laughs> you know, another little example that the world really doesn't know. I was always low-key. I was not getting any publicity. I was stayed out of the fray. I was because I was working all the time. I was busy. I wasn't a bullshitter. <laughs> I was we had the first hard disk drive that was small, fit right under the footprint of a Macintosh. Twenty megabytes. We I'm only I was only making five megabytes drives. They were huge for the schools. And uh, so this was really future technology. And we were also proud. It was a German engineer whose dad had 160 patents at IBM, and he. So I showed it to Steve. I said, "Look at this. This it works. We have tested it works. That wouldn't that be fantastic? Can we? You're going to go for this? We don't need a hard disk drive for Macintosh. What are you talking about, Mike? You just told me that the floppy. I just came back from Japan. He said." You told me you had the floppy going from 400 kilobytes to 800 kilobytes. That's plenty. I said, you must be kidding me. <laughs> but you couldn't do anything about it. You know, he was right. He was always there. He was right. And he said, Mike, sell it. Sell it. So I sold <laughs> this advanced technology to Sony for $2 million. Oh. And six months later, or nine months later, we couldn't buy the hard disk drive fast enough. <laughs> they took the technology, redesigned, put it to fit inside the Macintosh. I mean, little story that nobody really knows, but anyway. He really had a good sense of uh, shapes and forms and, you know, consistency in that. So. Design. I mean, the packaging, you know, just the packaging of the products were really advanced. Nobody did it that way. Today, many people copy it. So it was a, he was a good guy and he was a bad guy. And sometimes he was pretty naive. <laughs> like all of us. <laughs> but he was a genius. He, was a, he yeah. literally was a genius. If you have time, I can take you one more story. Yeah, we do. We, uh, the two of us went to SC, the University of Southern California because he was elected as Entrepreneur of the Year. Okay, so two of us fly down there, and I kept saying, so Steve, what are you gonna talk about? What are you gonna say? I don't know, Mike, I don't know. We'll, you know. we'll see what I get there. We get to this big auditorium, all the professors are there, all, lots of students, it's a huge audience, and they introduce Steve Jobs, you know, and. I'm sitting there and saying, what's he going to talk about? He walks up and he says, all right, Mike over here that I come down with, he asked me continuously, what am I going to talk about? What's my agenda? I know what my agenda is. I'm opening up to questions from you. That's my agenda. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you, we, he answered questions for over an hour and a half. Wow. And it was from biology, astrology, medicine, and you know, he was so smart in so many ways. He didn't really know this, but he made it up on the spot. And he said, this is how this works. This is how, you know, space is and so forth. And 
boy, they were all fascinated. Lots of applause. Very inspirational. Just, that, yeah, so he was very special. He was always a good presenter. Charismatic. He was very good. Yeah. That's my story about Steve. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> it's, uh, there aren't very many people who worked with him and knew him that well, so I find this uh, fascinating. So we are at the beginning of the exponential tech era where everything is going exponential. And this is going to impact us, particularly artificial intelligence and biotechnology in, in huge ways. So living in the valley, how do you perceive this transformation and what advice can you give our fellow investors who want to enjoy the ride? Investors, I mean, you talked about the, fa the fact that you're actually always ensured that you didn't lay people off, that you also took the social component of a business uh, highly into consideration. So given all this new transformation, what, uh, what is your advice to entrepreneurs, to investors? Well, I just recently made an investment and uh, it of course has all changed. Number one, I'm too old. Number two, the young people are really driving all of this. The middle-aged people, they don't really care. They're so busy with their stuff that they have lived with for 30 years. So, and it's hard to get out of it. The same with me. I've been in businesses for 40 years. It's hard to get out of this, right? So it's the young people driving this. So I invested in a company it's four PhDs, and they're all, I would think they're between 30 and 40 years old. They're super smart. So, yeah, they, they scout the world, and they mainly go to, to well-known universities in Beijing, in the US, and they, they, have, they all have degrees from the US, but they're all Chinese. And uh, they have a total different focus, and they're very smart. I mean, <laughs> I, I just can't compare myself with them. And what they're talking about, I don't really understand. AI. One of the guys is a celebrity in China for AI. He's a celebrity. I know him for 20 years. And <laughs> So I'm banking on them that they're doing the right thing. So they have a lot of, well, number one, this fund I'm in invests in like 27 companies in a year, 27, 30 companies in a year. They don't invest a lot of money. They invest a half a million dollars, period. If then, and these are all more or less startups, and if then the company does well, they only wait like a year. If within a year the company isn't, hasn't doubled the value, they just don't put any attention on them. But about two-thirds of them, within a year, the value goes up by double, I mean double value. So they raise more money at twice the price. And, and then they're ready for a preferred A stock. And then they put more money into it. Right? So they, they have this system we never had anything like this before, right? And the whole focus is productivity. So the products have to be understood and they have to contribute something. They have to be useful. 
not something that's, you know, it's just some rocks that are painted differently and I sell them for a lot of money. <laughs> well, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it, it does. It's beyond me. It's, I mean, it's, it's a different way nowadays. Yeah, so what was the criterion that, you know, the criteria that made you choose these people to, you know, that to, to trust them? Well, they just come across lovingly, friendly, immediately invited us for dinner. It's just a different atmosphere, you know. It's not like it used to, like, typical VCs. It's in a big conference room, and then lawyers are there, and it's all paperwork and so forth. This was like a, you know, really like a family. Mm. You know that attracted me to them. Mm -hmm. And you knew one of them for twenty mm. years, and you knew one of them for twenty years already. Oh, and, yeah. No, no, I didn't even invest in them. So oh. I looked at several of them, and one of them, it's also best. It's, you know, amino capital. Mm -hmm. But I didn't invest them. Mm -hmm. But I hope to invest them maybe in a couple of months or so. Yeah, okay. So, in addition to the tech and the biotech and the exponential growth thereof, we also face grand global challenges like environmental challenges, overpopulation, in grow, uh, growing inequality. So. I know that you care deeply about sustainability and about people. Can you tell us about your activities in your areas and how that, how you integrate them in your activities as an investor and as an entrepreneur? Can give us, for instance, we, we jointly invest in, in PhysioQ. That could be maybe an example of... Well, I, I invested initially in a biogas plant in Germany. Right. And... It was a good thing, good thing, but uh, it was subsidized, and so I thought, hey, we can, we need a whole bunch of them in Germany. So then I looked at Chinese technology, I looked at other German technologies, so I chose a German technology because Germany had like 7,000 biogas plants already. Well, I didn't know that China already had 20,000. Anyway. Um, so I thought, this is fantastic. In the U.S., we had 170 biogas, 170, and they were all in Milwaukee uh, in, at dairies. And so that's a huge opportunity. So I spent five years educating people in Sacramento, flying around... The government the of California. Government yeah. of California, because they just, they, all they knew is solar panels and wind. Farms. They had no clue. And here's all this waste. And I tried to explain to them, we can convert all this waste so you don't have to dump it. And it makes better fertilizer and it, and it produces energy. So nothing really happened, I can tell you. Five years later, I mean, I did contracts maybe for a half a billion dollars. None of the contracts ever saw the light. You know, not for me or any for any of the German competitors that I had, and and it's still now after after all this time. It's about ten years ago that I invested in a biogas plant, and then gave up three years ago uh, here. But today we have like three hundred biogas plants, and China has sixty thousand biogas plants. So it's pretty frustrating. Um, 
What so, else? So is it a matter of education that people are not responding or their mindset or they don't have a sense of urgency from your perspective? What can we do to... Obviously, you're a leading-edge investor. They typically would rely on bureaucrats. Mm -hmm. And the bureaucrats don't want to take any chance. They know this, this, they were just voted in. They know what's, what people invested in. And now comes something new and they said, hey, I, I don't want to risk this. I don't want to risk this. I have like five more years to go in my job and uh, I don't want to take a risk. And that's why they don't make a position. Here we are in Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, right? Is the best example. I, spend, I spent two years working with Palo Alto. I worked a year with Google. And neither one of them at the end committed the money it took. And it, for them, it wasn't that much money. It was $10 million for Palo Alto. Instead, all these years later, they're still trucking all the trash all over the country, polluting the air with big diesel trucks, and they do it on a daily basis. It is really short-sighted, but it all relates to the bureaucrats. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, they, and you ask people <laughs> that know anything about it in Palo Alto, and you interview people, they say, we don't understand. They say, why do you vote for people like this? Why don't you vote for people that are progressive? And it's just not possible, I guess. Hmm. Yeah. <sighs> so from your perspective, how can we reach the tipping point uh, uh, where, and they say, scientists say that the tipping point is at about 10%, where 10% of the population um, reaches the critical mass of this level of consciousness where they understand what's going on, then, you know, everything changes and it becomes self-obvious. So, you were at the bleeding edge of this, of the, this development. From your perspective, um, how can we accelerate it? Is, there, is this a better time right now? Uh, have people evolved more? And I'm talking about the West, uh, the Western countries, because we are the biggest polluters, America. <laughs> so what else can we do as investors? Obviously, you as an individual investor tried for five years to do something. Well, how I can we accelerate it? Again, I go back to the younger generation. Okay. I can see it with my children. They have different ideas that we used to. We used to collect all sorts of stuff. We go shopping, you know. They don't go shopping that much. So we go shopping, we buy all the stuff, we fill the houses up with stuff that are totally useless. You know? <laughs> and, and I find they don't want all the silverware that they have to clean. They don't, they don't want anything. They want plain living spaces, not too much art on the walls, and they just want to focus on what they like to do. They like to do sports, they focus on that. They like to do inventing things, they like to learn things, like to travel. That's what they focus on. We used to just focus on, you know, filling ourselves with junk. <laughs> it's a different world, and I think once they get into get old enough and get into dock into government, I think we have a good chance to change it. Not before. Let's hope that the that the climate doesn't force us uh, otherwise earlier. Yeah, right. Correct. So, how do you invest your money, and how and why that way? 
I mean, Which as an I, investor. Where do I get it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not printing it myself. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are the criteria when you make an investment? What are the criteria that make you uh, make that investment? Okay, I'm at that age now that, you know, I don't need to invest right, anymore. I have a lot of friends my age. For the last 10 years, they already gave up investing. They said, Mike, why do you want me to get into physical? But, you know, and physical was another startup, which I immediately liked because they have the product that you hold on your artery and it reduces your blood pressure in a minute. Well, and a headache, I experienced it yesterday. And, yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, we have another version <coughs> with, with a cold and vibration, it reduces your headache immediately, gets rid of your headache. Anyway, we have a product, but it's hard to get investors for it. And uh, all my friends that have lots of money to invest, they say, Mike, come on, come on. For the last five years, we haven't made a single investment. Why do we? We, we want to exercise, we want to travel. We don't care about making more money. We don't need to. Right? That's one of the Well, issues. making more money is, that tells you a lot about their mindset. But making more money, that's not always the purpose of investment. I mean, we're talking here about sustainability and stuff. You can make a difference with money. Right. So, so I put a lot of, I put a year and a half into physical because I like the product. I need to build up a distribution market for in Europe and it helps people. It's something really good. <clears throat> I came up with a device that I like to send to Africa because it's solar powered and it, you can measure your blood pressure and then we have the device that, that reduces your blood pressure. There are <clears throat> billions of people with high blood pressure. Half of them don't even know that they have it. And it's a killer. It's a silent killer. I mean, it's, you die of it. Right? So I like to make a difference. I like it. But it's hard. It's hard to get people to see the light, I think. And I'm not giving up, so I'm working on this a year and a half. And we somehow get there. So when, when your friends say they're not investing, where, where does their money go? Because obviously they must have some cash that um, they, enables their lifestyle. So they just give it to somebody to manage so that they don't care about sustainability or making a difference or all they care about is profit, is that? No, they don't care about profit at all because what, how much money do they need? Right to live live their lives. In the valley, you need quite a bit of money. It's very expensive to live here. No, no, but they have the money, but they don't. They don't think they need to make more money, so they just put the money. Yeah, but who and manages get 3%. their money? Okay. Yeah, so, so they pay a manager one percent, just to keep the money what the money is. But they're not interested to. They have a hundred million dollars. Why would you want to have a hundred and ten million dollars? <laughs> what do you do with it, right? So they make. They support the universities, they do some good you know, in that respect, or some museums. They, put, uh, they invest money to put artwork into the new Stanford Hospital. That's where their money goes, right? Okay. But so they not, do make a difference in the social sense. They're trying to make sense. a difference yeah. in mm -hmm. that respect, but they don't, want it, they don't invest in, in AI, for instance. They don't want to think about what this is about, right? Did they want to invest in your uh, bio? Uh, no, company? I couldn't get them no. to invest in it. 
So why not? They didn't <laughs> see the need for that? Or no, they just didn't. The biomass company? They didn't want to. Mm -hmm. you know? They just didn't want to invest anymore. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, it, 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 but that, well, that's why we're having the conversation because I really, you know, in, if obviously we must change and we cannot wait because the climate uh, is forcing us. We see climate change and we cannot wait. We need to stop CO2 emissions. So, um, and money plays a huge role. And of course, without regulation and so on. So people who have the power could make a difference if they only awakened and, and went mm -hmm. about to really show how it can be done in a better way. So that's why we're having these conversations in the podcast. So you have to, I mean, in this, in the Silicon Valley area, <clears throat> you have a lot of billionaires, right? more than anywhere else. You have to convince them, you know, they are the ones. But they are busy running their big businesses and their big strategic issues and, you know, issues with China and so forth, like Google has. Uh, and in Europe, they're being sued in Europe. So, but those people that have the money, don't have time, it looks like, right? They are very busy. You have to wait until they retire. <laughs> By, that time, By the time the planet will be four degrees hotter. Exactly, and, yeah. exactly. I don't see them doing anything at Google or you know, Facebook. I don't see them doing anything. Facebook builds a hospital, right? Yeah, but that's... Is, but this is, it has nothing to do with sustainability. Exactly, yeah. That's infrastructure, yeah, right? Yeah, and that's philanthropy. And it's not, you know, the bulk of the, the money. It's just something, a little so hospital I, in Palo Alto and not in Africa. <laughs> so I know that, that uh, Google invested years ago when I was in this biogas business. They invested in North Carolina in, in a big, uh, what do you call it, pig farm? <laughs> Huge pig farm. North Carolina has all these big farms. It's a fantastic area to to create renewable energy right? and clean up the soil. Clean, you know, now it goes all down the drain essentially. And it didn't work, but they didn't. They didn't pursue it, right? And ah, didn't work. Forget it. So bad light. California had the state of California also uh, paid money to build five biogas plants and maybe that's where one of the problems comes from. Years ago, maybe 15 years ago they did, and only two of them are still working. The other ones were, I don't know, they were hokey pokey, they were not of you know, really designed and so forth, and they gave it a bad rap, right? And it's hard to overcome. Well, and you see how few solar panels there are. You know, I built this, built this house that you like, and I don't pay an electric bill, so I create my own electricity, right? I try to save water so I don't buy, buy water. I store water, not enough of it, but I try to make an effort. And to get other people to do it is hard. It is really difficult. I, I think they're not smart enough. They just don't see it. Mm. So I think the younger generation that listens to all the complaints and listens to all of this and hopefully are smart enough and well enough educated, they will make the difference. The, the people in power today, they're hopeless. Right? 
they don't do anything. Even, I mean, even in Germany, they, they reduce the subsidies and taking down atomic power plants, you know, because some group doesn't like them. <laughs> Stuff like this is happening. You know, instead they're using coal, putting more pipelines in from Russia, whatever they're doing. Same old, same old. Same old, same old. That's right. So what, what kept you on this path of, you know, being a holistically developed person? What kind of personal rituals do you have? You know, do you do sports? Do you meditate? Uh, how do you... <laughs> how do you grow? How do you keep yourself up to date and open-minded? I'm always busy, but I'm, I'm very structured, I'm very diligent, I'm very persistent, right? and I'm conscious of things. So I run around and turn the lights off when they're not necessary. Uh, my wife, for instance, she's not disciplined. Right? She just does things, what she needs to do, and the rest just falls behind. So. If I do something, I do it, okay? I clean it up or whatever. Um, so that makes, keeps me busy all day long, right? I'm trying to, I think I'm, I'm trying to do the best I can do. And I'm very thoughtful about it. And what do you inform yourself on the newest developer? Because obviously you couldn't make this kind of decision without the, the knowledge. What do you... I, I don't know. It's, it's, with, it's in my genes, I guess. I, when I look at the newspaper, I listen to the news, and I just look at the headlines and I know what it's about. So I don't, read, I don't get lost in the details. I'm too busy. I'm trying to <laughs> create stuff. I'm trying to help other people. And, uh, well, I think that's, that's the difference. You know, I don't think you find any any idiot like me again so easily. <laughs> <laughs> so what advice would you give investors, you know, in, or, and entrepreneurs in terms of uh, starting new companies, making a difference? What, what, what are the... be analytical, analyze them and analyze what they really, what their plan is and, and teach them how to focus and stick on a plan, mm. you know, and, and don't get sidetracked by today, there are millions of smart people and the millions of smart people, they all can communicate now, right? So it's very hard not to get sidetracked and you listen to other ideas. You have an idea, you want to do this, like Uber, good example, right? You want to do this, that's what you do. You don't worry about all these other influences that potentially can get there and you don't worry about the future details too much. Mm -hmm. Just do it, you know, do it and get it done and then you wor worry about how to make it better, how to make it better, right? And well, I think it reduces, tra it reduces traffic, you can make a difference, right? So what what are three specific, I always finish the podcast with, three specific pieces of advice to our listeners that you would like to give moving forward, given the context that we're in? Three pieces of wisdom. What is important as a human well, being, as an okay. investor, as an entrepreneur? <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one, you, 
we play a lot of, U.S. plays a lot of baseball. So my saying to everybody is always, you cannot reach second base with your foot on first. Mm -hmm. Right? So you have to move away from the first base. It's risky, it's scary, because a pitcher can throw the ball back to first base and you've got to be at that base again. So anyway, you've got to take risks. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing in my mind. And uh, you never want to give up. You cannot give up, you know. And you look for something and say, yeah, I, you know, God, I put it somewhere, I put it somewhere. And I keep looking and say, I can't find it. Where in the world is it, right? So, but then I remember, you don't give up. You know it's somewhere, right? And I do find it. You know, it doesn't take that long. You do find it. A lot of people just give up, yeah. right? They just forget about it. And uh, you've got to be, life is really an adventure. And it's a scary adventure. So you've you got to try to do something that's scary. Because that's the only way you progress. If, you're doing, if you just sit on a couch and have other people entertain you, well, there's no life. You know, that's, we all will disintegrate like the Romans did. Right? So you gotta be, and here I think people are in, in Silicon Valley, San Francisco, people don't sit on the couch. They don't even have a TV. I know so many young people, they don't have a TV. They rent out their couches, Airbnb. <laughs> <laughs> don't have. <laughs> they live in simple apartments that are not decorated to the tilt, and they just focus on things they wanna do. Yeah, they go to the, I mean, my daughter, she is in San Francisco. I said, what are you doing tonight? Oh, we go to the bar. <laughs> but at the bar, the discussion, they have discussions. They communicate, right? They do stuff together. We all go on a bike ride together, a whole group, right? A peloton. And they always talk. And communications, that's how we progress here. You don't do it like as an individual. It's very tough, right? You, other countries, that I used, used to, you know, Japan is a big example, right? They haven't gone anywhere, but it, theoretically, they built good cars. But people work for a company for all their lives. Here, I tell people, I said, wow, you have been there five years? You're nuts. You got to do something else, either start your own business, you learned enough after five years, you should know that business. Do it on your own, right? Get somewhere else, you learn a little bit more, so then you do it on your own. That's what I tell everybody. Don't get stuck in an existing business. Don't get don't, comfortable, yeah. yeah and, and you know everything, so then now what? It's no experience or adventure anymore. Take the risk and go to somebody else. Yeah. So Those are the three, my, my little three things. Well, great. So where can people go and learn more about your work? My work? Yeah, Which, is there a website or... Uh, I no, mean, I, no, I'm trying to get off LinkedIn, LinkedIn. I'm trying to get off Facebook because I get so many dumb messages from them, <laughs> both of them. <laughs> Everybody in this country is a marketing organization yeah. and it's just really terrible. The waste of time and the waste of money people, 
and, and mail. It was, I still get mail every day. It's somebody marketing things. You know, it's just amazing. And I know a lot of my kids. They don't even look at the mail. You know, yeah. they have everything electronic. So if they have to pay a bill, it's all taken care of electronically. They just throw everything away. They don't even look at it. You know. Yeah, times have changed. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an uh, honor and a privilege. It's nice to listen you. to your questions. <laughs> thank Very you. Very thoughtful. <laughs> okay. Thank Good you. luck to you. All right? Good luck and to you too. World. And yeah. us. Yeah. We need it. We yeah. need it. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To find out more on Dr. Bosazan and the Investment Turnaround, visit investment-turnaround.com.